Cause he's Kieran Gillen Super weird, they still pronounce it powers of ten Really be destiny to live and die A life of mutant supremacy Kieran Gillen Where I see enigma, he sees the end What will it take for us to see the man who saved all the X-Men? So hey, we'll check it out, it's Powers of Ten. Check, 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 check one. Check on the mic. Hello. Welcome to Conflict Herald Live. Hey everybody, I'm Dave Easton, founder and editor-in-chief of one of the world's longest-running websites comicbookherald.com. Today, we're going to be talking about comics, talk about any news, got some thought starters, some some fun uh, icebreaker activities we can all play together, talk about some good comics this week. Okay, Ultimate Spider-Man number two, Rise of the Powers of X number two, and uh, God's number five. Is that one of the good comics? Is God's canceled? Talk about that today as well. Here's my question for today. Thanks to those of you that are here live, hopping in the chat. Always much appreciated. All my pals hanging with me, talking comics. Love it. Getting your thoughts, getting your questions, getting your comments. Be respectful and nice to those around you. Question for the day. What are the most underrated ongoing comics in your world right now? I saw James Tiny in the fourth last week announced his own multimedia production company. What does that mean? I don't know, but definitely means he's at the forefront of taking over like where comics can go as individual creators. Also means that all predictions for Tinyan writing X-Men comics are dead. <laughs> Null and dead in the water, baby. I did my uh, X-Men draft with David Harper of Off Panel. That's going to come out, I think, this next Monday. So three days from now, I won't spoil who I drafted and, and the series that I picked and the creators that I picked. It was a fun time. I hope you all check that out if it comes out on Monday on the Off-Panel Podcast. I'll definitely be talking about it here next week as well. Okay. Um, but my, one of my first picks for Uncanny X-Men was Tiny and the Fourth. And then I made the mistake of reading an interview that David had done. They were doing these sketched uh, Tiny Tiny Onion interviews with with. Um, tiny and throughout the year and he was clearly like i will not he's like i don't think superhero comics have a future <laughs> for the next like three to five years and uh i will not be writing them was the pretty clear implication 0.0 percent chance of tiny on uncanny x-men even though i think that actually would have been a pretty exciting pick okay where are we going with that oh so anyway but then i saw in the announcement of all this that tiny was asking to the humble masses, what are like, what are your favorite comics that I may not have heard of was the way he framed it. And I, I took this as an opportunity myself to be like, if you're looking at the direct market of comics media, not really looking at the book market, right? Not doing graphic novels. Cause I've, I've already, I keep tabs on that. I talk about my favorite comics here. Next week, we're going to do the best comics. Actually, probably next week I won't be here, but next time I'm here two weeks from now, we're going to do the best comics of February 2024, my favorite graphic novels that I've read so far, right? And I keep track of that on best comics of, all, um, of the year on CBH, right? Certainly that I feel like I have I have a pulse on, I have tabs on. But the actual like direct market single issues, like what are the super underrated? Oh, and the other the other part of his thing was non-soups. 
non-superhero comics. What are the most underrated, ongoing, non-superhero comics? Okay. Um, And I think it's a pretty interesting question. I've got a list. If we have time, maybe I'll share the list. I've got a bunch of books to try, though, as a result of of looking into this, right? I haven't read Pine and Merrimack yet. I haven't made it far into Kill Your Darlings. I want to read Zoe Thorogood's Hack Slash book she's doing right now. And then Firepower just ended. It's hard to call anything by Kirkman underrated considering his his uh you know kind of the weight he holds in the comic book industry uh but a book with chris omni it's 30 issues i read the first arc and i have not touched it since and now i'm kind of like it's a chris omni book like is it did, was i sleeping on a, on a gem this whole time you know uh but i want to hear from you all what are the ones that i need to put i at least need to consider if i'm going to make a list like this Okay, I'm seeing from Jordan, Gone, and Somna. Yeah, you might have to give me more information on Gone, like a, like a creator name or something, but I like it. Hunger in the Dusk, this is on my list. Seeing this referenced a bunch. Stephen R. says, Bone Orchard Tenement by Lemire. It, I've definitely got I, got, I have the Bob Pollard problem with Jeff Lemire right now. Okay, I have the Bob Pollard Guided by Voices problem with Lemire, where it's like, you're too prolific. You are too prolific. There are too many comic books with your name. They might all be amazing. They might. Um, They might all be individually very good. Like, that is the baseline competency that I expect from a Jeff Lemire product. I love a lot of his work. A lot, a lot, a lot. Um, But the, the thing about someone being that prolific is unless you're also, like, chaotic... (laughs) <laughs> like, like, unless your your interest in genre and informal experimentation is like all over the map, it's it's just going to start to feel the same. And I had that problem with Lemire. I've had it for years now. Um, maybe it's super unfair. Like, there's quite a few, but like, uh, Bone Orchard is one of them. Where I'm like, Bone Orchard might be amazing. I should probably read it. What the one with Dustin Wynn? Uh, what's that? Descender. I've got that compendium a review copy sitting in my drive. And I'm like, I, I need to read that. I bet it's good. But it's just, I, there's a there's a real, it's the Bob Pollard thing. And listen, if you're here listening to me talk comics and basketball <laughs> every week, surely you are also a massive Guided by Voices fan. I think we can just take an assumption here that you do an Alien Lanes binge at least once a year. <laughs> that feels that feels like a fair assumption, the least of which of the assumptions. But it's just it's just too much. It's too much. Scale back. Create some scarcity, Jeff. I, I think it would do you do you good, honestly. I just I don't know. I can't. I don't have that many issues with my dad. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I I like where I'm at with my boys, and I don't have enough father issues to be like, I want to read a Jeff Lemire graphic novel every night. <laughs> you know, scarcity can be a friend sometimes. All right. Beneath the trees where nobody sees. That's a popular one these days. That's on my list. That is on my list to for sure. Why is it not? Why is my to try not showing that here? I must have. I'm missing something. Let's type that in. Beneath the trees where nobody sees. I'll tell you what. If your comic title isn't five words or more, I'm not touching it. I'm not even considering it. If your comic book title isn't isn't like 
long and a little rhymy. I'm not even looking at it. I'm not even, I'm not picking up that book. No chance. You know who my favorite publisher is on titles alone is, you know, every week or thereabouts, I go and I look on League of Comic Geeks and I want to see what are the new comics or what are the new graphic novels that are going to be released. And I think it's Seven Seas Entertainment releases a string of manga and all the titles are like 20 words long and they're like synopsis. Like, like they use their titles as like, here is a descriptor of exactly what you'll find in this comic book. So it's like, I turned into a gay fish and now my boyfriend's mad at me. <laughs> like, like that's a title that you'll see on one of these mangas. And it's like, oh, cool. I know exactly what I'm getting into. Right. And it's they're very, very funny. It's like, oh, no, my skirt's too tight. Look out. <laughs> like, these are the titles. Is anyone reading these? I think I've actually maybe read. I think What's Wrong with Secretary Kim maybe was a Seven Seas book that I actually kind of enjoyed. Um, but it's just like there are so many words. They are so descriptive. They always make me chuckle. And then if I was seen with one of them in public nine times out of ten, I'd be just horribly ashamed and blushing furiously. Um, okay. Let's see. Jordan says modern comic titles are either full last sentence or a single four letter word. <laughs> That's a good way of summarizing it. Uh, Daryl Specht has B thousand over alien lane. I think that is the, I think that is like the rock cannon consensus. I was a B thousand boy growing up. Um, now I'm an alien lane guy. Favorite GBV song. That is extremely difficult. The one I play most on guitar is Game of Pricks. Um, but that doesn't mean it's my favorite. It just means what I'm capable of, which is very little. <laughs> favorite song. I really have like a soft spot for Back to the Lake. That hits me in just a high school nostalgia way. That is very specific to me, probably. Um, mm, those are the first two that come to mind. There's a lot of good ones. A lot of good ones. Let's see. Xavier asks, have you ever read... Gypsy by Marina. Uh, no, don't don't know what that is. Don't think I know what that is. Okay, should we talk about some comics today? What else do we got? So I want to know your underrated comic book series. And what else do we got today? Dennis Camp, Juan for Gary, officially announced on Ultimates. We knew this was coming from the free comic book day, that Dennis Camp was going to be writing Ultimates in the Ultimate Universe. I have been telling you all. I have been saying for weeks to those of you brave enough to listen, put all your chips on the ultimate universe. Move all of your investment, your emotional investment, your financial investments, your investments in Marvel Comics as an enterprise, put them all in the ultimate universe. That's where everything interesting exists. There's very little outside of the ultimate universe. Frankly, if Al Ewing wasn't writing Immortal Thor... I would be like, will I be reading a 616 book by the end of the year? I don't know. I just don't know. Um, Ultimates is going to be good. It's going to be really good. Okay? Has my my absolute guarantee that it's a good book. I'm looking forward to it. What else? Oh, the news. Let's start with Gods. Let's start with Gods because it, it'll tie into some maybe news, maybe not news. Okay? Let's do it. Let's talk gods. Gods number five came out. It is, it remains aggressively fine. <laughs> like, 
It doesn't excel at anything. Okay. And it's just, it's weird, man. It's weird reading a Jonathan Hickman Valerio Skeety book. And it's just like, we're so deep into this. What are you all doing? Literally, what are you all doing? What is this book? <laughs> what is it supposed to be? Like, I, I who is this for? Even audience wise, it feels very trapped in in not knowing what it's meant to be. And uh, I think it's like I don't have major issues with it per se, other than you know it's it's lesser work for Hickman certainly, and also like it's definitely not living up to the promise of this is the other. Th- there were two ideas. Hawks, pox, and gods. And this is the other one. You know, that's a bar. And then it's, and we're reimagining the the Marvel cosmic landscape. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. We're five issues into this eight-issue miniseries. First volume. What are we going to call it? You know, it is not. It is all over the GD map. Um, I like some of the character additions. I like Mia Di Maria. I think she's interesting. I think framing this as Harry Potter by way of the Black Swans is an angle, but this book is not that. You know, I think Hickman teased it as Sandman for the Marvel Universe. It is falling woefully short of that ambitious mark. Constantine Hellblazer for the Marvel Universe. I mean, it's it's nowhere near that good, but that's at least a possibility. That's at least a possibility. Um, as usual, as usual, Dave Sinney was right again. Hang on, just let me get my, let's just get the water here and we'll cut back, zoom in on Dave Sinney strikes again, baby. Dave Sinney strikes again. I told you all this would be eight issues. I told you there is no way this comic goes more than eight issues. You all said it's going to be an ongoing. It's Hickman. There's no way. There's no way they don't let him do more. It's going to be eight issues. <laughs> Marvel announced yesterday, this is the end, dot, 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 for now. So yes, there could be a second volume. Um, it could come back. Does this mean sales were horrible and they're canceling it after eight? Not necessarily. That would not shock me. I, I'm sure it made money just because it was priced so high. But I don't care about that. I just care, is it good? Do I enjoy it? Um, I will not miss it. After eight issues, I, I I definitely think that's true. Um, I you know what honestly, I've never said this about a Hickman project before, but I would love to see this in someone else's hands. I think another creator could do some really interesting work with the Godsverse. Uh, I think that's in play, and I do worry that if it is a true end, if it is a true eight issues and done, which again, I'm suspicious of. There was a clear for now, which, you know, seems purposeful. I worry that a takeaway from Marvel from this is, well, we should just not try anything new. Like that sucks. You know, I love the idea. I love the ambition behind actually trying some new ideas, new characters. How about that? reimagining things. That's all great. The takeaway should not be be less experimental or adventurous. 
you know? Um, I don't think this story works. There's not a lot to get invested in. Uh, but again, I, I just think it's very easy to get this fix other places. How about that? Like it is, it is easier than it has ever been to get my fix of supernatural and, and thoughtful magic stuff <laughs> from a, a very wide variety of comics, you know, gods is not supplanting them. Um, I think a lot of folks are way too high on secret wars, nostalgia, and you're like, you are talking to the king, the king of secret wars propaganda. Okay. Nobody promotes Secret Wars just in general or the Hickmanverse like I do. Honestly, I don't think even Marvel sold it as hard as I have since it ended. Um, some of y'all are way too high on Secret Wars nostalgia. Black Swans. Oh, they said the word Raboomalal. I don't care. That doesn't mean anything anymore. That's, that's a hollow callback. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't. This book's weird. Why is this book? It's not the fact that it's a new idea. It's not the fact that it sought to try things and create new characters. Um, but I do think it's a failed execution. And then it's it's so wild too. Like you read this on the same day as Ultimate Spider-Man number two, which is so tight and continues to be fantastic. Marco, Marco Chiquetto. It, every page is just like some of the my favorite Spidey stuff I've seen in forever, you know? And, and you look at that and it's like, oh yeah, here's the juice. Here's a book that has it. And it's funny too, because like Spider-Man right now, you could make an argument that Ultimate Spider-Man is, is intense fan service. I think one of like the heaviest criticisms you could levy against Ultimate Spider-Man would be like, it's just fan service, right? What are the things going into Ultimate Spider-Man that like Spider-Man fandom was the most obsessed with? It was getting Peter and MJ married, letting them have kids a la Spider-Verse, and seeing Jonah and Ben naked in a bathhouse together. Those were the three, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And they're doing all of those things. Um, and yet I, I'm not bothered by that at all. They're executing on those things supremely well, supremely well. I also fully anticipate that we're being set up for something more. I really wonder how long it's going to be before the Hickman and Chiquetto vision goes from, you know, alleged fan service to, Oh, here's the twist. Here's the thing you all didn't see coming. Here's the thing nobody said they wanted, but we're going to tell you what we want, what you want, because we're the storytellers. I think it's a famous Alan Moore quote. I'm paraphrasing. It's like the audience doesn't know what they want. If they knew what they wanted, they'd be the storytellers. Sick burn. Love me some more quotes. Okay? But I think at some point, Hickman and Chicago here are going to say, I'll tell you what you want. And I'm suspicious. I'm very suspicious. That Hickman was like, you know what I can't wait to do? That Hickman was like, I'm okay, I'd, I'd never see myself writing Spider-Man. But you know what? I cracked it, and the way I cracked it 
was by writing Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows. That he was like, I finally, I have an idea. It's my dream. I know how I'm going to get into Spider-Man. It's to write Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows. And like, listen, he's good at that. He's really flipping good at that. But I suspect there's more to it. I suspect there's a lot more to it. Um, it is fun on a fan. Like, it's fun in the way that Spider-Man PS4 is fun. You know, it was certainly my issue number one comparison with Ultimate Spider-Man, where it's like, oh, cool. Like, here's a Peter Parker I recognize. Cast a half step to the left in a world that has shifted. You know, they, Marvel obviously is promoting it the way they're going to. And they're like, oh, the biggest changes you've ever seen, the most shocks. It's like, I, no. <laughs> Uncle Ben being around, Pete having a family. These are all like, you know, little alt-reality tweaks. You know, that that's the stage for different types of storytelling that I'm into. But it's like, yeah, it's refreshing to see Dad Pete be too, uh, too willing to accept the shocker's truth and get his butt kicked because of it because he's never done this before. There is just a fundamental superhero fandom kick out of seeing stuff like that. I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. I like reading this book. But I did think after reading issue number two, I think there's more than this. Because if there's not, Peach Momoko's Ultimate X-Men is on such an island. <laughs> Obviously, the first issue has not come out yet. But every indication of, of Ultimate X-Men is like, this is, you know, this is a book that is not rooted in X-Men nostalgia. If it's from a creator who does not share fandoms like obsession with, with continuity in certain runs and history and all that. Um, and I think it's going to be really weird by comparison because Ultimate Spider-Man and Black Panther, you know, so far it's early. But again, these are these are half-step to the left alt-reality takes that are not like especially different than what we know. They aren't. Um, I think viewing them as shocking or, or revolutionary is, is very strange if you have just kind of baseline familiarity with the material, you know? Um, and again, like for the second issue, I'm okay with that. I'm not bothered by that at all. Like this was a nice Spider-Man book. It's kind of nice <laughs> to have a Spider-Man book that you're just like, oh, there's, there's my Spider-Man fix. And Marco Chicato's awesome at it. I'm enjoying myself. You know what I like? I like seeing Peter Parker being a good dad to his little girl and not scaring her in his creepy symbiote Spider-Man costume. Um, that's nice for a moment, but it's not just going to be that there's no way, uh, that if we get, you know, and it seems like we're in for 12 issues at least because they're doing a month by month thing. First issue was January. Now we're into February. Hopefully that means Hickman Chiquetto are on for 12 issues at least, you know, if it's kind of a Spider-Man year one type book. I mean, I don't know, unless... Unless I'm overthinking it and the pitch is basically just like, yeah, I wanted to do Batman year one, but with Spider-Man and in this framework where he's a dad. I guess that's possible. There are lesser ambitions than that, I suppose. Um, I just, I there's a tease at the very end of this. If you haven't read it, I guess mild spoiler potentially. The last thing Peter says in this issue is let's give it one more day. The words one more day 
in Spider-Man fandom are significant. They are triggering <laughs> for many. They are upsetting to a lot of Spider-Man fandom. Okay. Um, is that an accident? That to me feels like the sort of thing Hickman would do as a red herring and as a as like a mess with fandom kind of thing, as opposed to any sort of actual one more day references. That said, if that got by multiple editors without anyone picking up on the significance of those words in Spider-Man lore, like I would be shocked. I would be very surprised. I expect big things from this. I hope for that. Um, I think, you know, some some folks, some readers will be satisfied just like, you know what I want? Just 12 good-ass Spider-Man comics. Don't reinvent the wheel. Don't swing for the fences. Just how about 12 good-ass Spider-Man comics? Do you know how long it's been since we had 12 straight good-ass Spider-Man comics? When was the last time? Truly, I'm asking. When was the last time? 12 straight. <sighs> Superior Spider-Man is the last run that I really loved. You know, because Spider-Man life story is not that long. Um, Zdarsky's Spectacular was pretty up and down. The highs were very high, but certainly it didn't go 12 straight. Tw you're talking 12 straight issues, a good Spidey? That's a win. That's its own kind of win. Is that enough? Eh, I want more. <laughs> I do. There's a lot of twists in play. I don't know. Everybody's head goes straight to like, like, you know, murdering these poor children or Peter and MJ splitting up or one of them dying. It's like, man, Spider-Man fans are so tortured. <laughs> like, anytime you see Peter Parker with a good thing, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's got to end in the worst way possible. Um, which isn't to say like nothing bad will happen here. I, I would be a little surprised by... Like, anyone dying outside of Uncle Ben and Jonah, hopefully together in that bathhouse as they would have wanted. I'd be surprised by that part of it. Does that mean other weird stuff can't happen? Of course not. I mean, it seems like Pete's wearing a symbiote that he knows nothing about. I'll tell you what, if somebody came to me, a known terrorist, a reported terrorist, which is what Iron Lad is in this Ultimates verse, and said like, hey... You ever feel like you could have been something more? Oh, yeah, maybe. Okay, here's a ball. Open this ball. It'll put on a gooey old black suit and, and turn you into a spider. <laughs> I'm not opening that ball. No chance. Now, if he gave me a basketball and he was like, this will give you the knees of an 18-year-old and you'll still have your spatial awareness and knowledge of, of where to spot up from behind the three-point line, I'd open that ball for sure. Anyway, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know that enough questions were asked. I'm not sure enough questions were asked about that choice. A lot of directions this could go. Green Goblin seems to be a Harry Osborn figure. That's still looming in, I guess, semi-mystery. I still like my Uncle Goblin theory, even though it makes no sense. J. Jonah Jameson living his best life. It's a good book. I'm just saying, don't be surprised when the twist comes. Just don't be surprised. But yeah, I mean, I, I compared to gods, 
way better. Which then makes me question, like, well, do I just want do I just want to be served the thing that I know and like? Spider-Man? And not be quote unquote challenged with something new? I don't think that's what's happening here. Um, but certainly you have to question it. I'll be curious for the folks in here who are like, I love gods. Gods is great. Get all religious on us. Gods is great. What what do you love? What are you digging? That's what I want to know. Jordan asks, did you read the new X-Force? I did not. Jordan says it teased a possible delete Araco button. Well, that's awful. That's the worst news I've heard all day. Please, go elaborate. I would love to read how this fantastic new addition to the Marvel Universe can be canceled out. That sounds like a problem. Okay. I'm just reading the comments. This is good, good podcast fodder as I sit here <laughs> staring at my screen, forgetting to say anything. Okay, getting your thoughts on gods, getting your thoughts on Ultimate Spider-Man. We're going to do some Rise of Powers of 10 next. First, I'm going to get a sip. We are sponsored today by Dave Stinney Strikes Again. Dave Stinney, write about gods lasting eight issues. Dave Stinney, write about investing in the Ultimate Universe. Dave Stinney, write about Rise of the Powers of Ten being the one X-book you need to read. Dave Stinney, strikes again. Jordan says, Evil Beast wants to shoot Araco into a black hole for safekeeping or something. <sighs> That would be the thing I'd be the maddest at Evil Beast for. And honestly, if that happened, I wouldn't like I would need to step away from my desk. <laughs> I'd need to take a walk for a minute. Um oh, just listen. It's not looking great, is it? <laughs> like, are we can we really sit here? I don't know. I try to give men for the doubt on some of this stuff. And, you know, I wrote about how Brevoort's track record obviously like has, you know, swings. And I don't think he's, he's not dumb. He knows how to do this. He knows a lot about the business, right? Um, it's easy for us to armchair this, but man, I do not want to see just like that hardcore wash away of everything that would add it. Just, just like have your, have your fundamentals, the big fundamentals take on X-Men and just use the stuff that's been added. <laughs> don't literally throw it into a black hole. That would be such a depressing metaphor for throwing out the past five years. I mean, oh, oh, even like getting Beast back, which I'm assuming is what has been happening over there, right? Getting the younger clone Beast. Like we talked about this, like what a cop out it would be to just like bring him back younger. So obviously that's the thing that's happening. I just, there've been so many times over the course of this podcast, we've been having these conversations where I'm like, no, Marvel's not going to do the simplest, most annoying thing. And every time that's what happens, like every single time. Um, and that's why I'm like, you know, I'm doing this casting thing and being like, all right, what are the creative teams going to be? And it's like Gail Simone's name is on the free comic book day X-Men thing. Are we just way overthinking it, pretending it's not going to be her? <laughs> like, like if that happened, we couldn't be surprised by that. Marvel basically announced it in the weirdest way possible, you know? But it's like, I'm still out here fan casting other names, and it's like, Marvel put her name on the book. She's probably involved. I don't know. I, here's what I'm happy about. 
I'd be very I, here's why I'd be so upset about just throwing away Rocco. It's because like that's still a book that should exist, right? You can still have an X Men Red. You can still have a mutant planet, and kind of like like th- that you can re you know, sort of position the X-Men in a more traditional role and still have that thing exist in the Marvel landscape. I mean, maybe you if, you, if you're like, Mars is too close, <laughs> right? It's like, fine, put them by the Shi'ar. Move them through a black hole closer to the Shi'ar. Just have them part of the cosmic element. I guess that's, you know, acceptable. But that that's sort of like, well, we're just going to wash it away. Oh, boy. That'd be upsetting. Don't love it. Don't love it. Okay, should we talk about Rise? What thoughts do we have? Trap God Thanos says, I'm not that into Ultimate Spider-Man, but I'm glad people are excited by it. I just hope people won't turn on Hickman when a twist happens. Uh, they will, in some ways. But I, I do think there is a tremendous degree of trust that you know Hickman is built within Marvel fandom where people will generally ride out to see what it's going to be. You know, um, like somebody like a Zeb Wells, like Spider-Man fans were like quick to turn on, but you know, they don't have the pedigree. Banksy says Rise of the Powers of 10 was great. You could see how the rushing affected R.B. Silva's art from issue one to two. It's unfortunate it had to be this way. I did not feel that nearly as much. I think in part because Gillen and Silver are so good at what they do that like even, even their rushed version, if that's what it is, is pretty stellar. I thought this comic was great. It is so refreshing to see a creative team elevating to the challenge of concluding Krakoa. You know, that's what I said last time out with Fall of the House of X number two, which was a real nadir for the Krakoa era. I think probably the lowest point of this entire era. Um, And it's just so nice to see like a genuine attempt to rise to the challenge of concluding this. I don't even care if it works for me. Just try. Just make that effort. Right? Give give the import that the start of this era holds for so many. Uh, you know, the the respect, the creative respect that I think we all just kind of desire to see. And you can feel that and rise. I think you can. Um, I thought Silva was really good in this. I did. I, you know, I saw uh, there was a bit of a kerfuffle. Marvel announced that, like, okay, these books are all ending in May. Which, by the way, when we know things are turning over and ending, like, can all of the comic sites stop running Marvel cancels X-Men books headlines? Can we just stop that? (laughs) Like, (laughs) that nothing story as a community? That is such a garbage story to write. Right, Marvel cancels X Men. They <laughs> they're doing the concluding event to an era. We all know that. We all know it's resetting in July. Running it as a cancellation story is so misleading. One of my least favorite things that happens over and over again in with uh, whatever's left of, of comic sites, which is not much. Okay, Rise of the Powers of Ten, two. I'm just gonna agree with everyone in the comments here that Rotpox is not an acronym I will be using. I would rather I would rather say the whole mouthful, yeah, than than that ever again. I think we're good on that front. Okay, yeah, bad bad acronym. Uh, yeah, I thought Silva was great in this. I think Gillen continues to be great. 
at pretty much everything he does. Um, here are the big things that I learned from Rise of the Powers of Time. Enigma can't see Xavier, which we knew, right? Because Charlie's hiding in a no place. It is really interesting, this game that Gillen has to play where, like, Xavier's no place crew is invisible to Enigma who can see everything in space and time. This is a very challenging type of character and cosmic entity to write because by all accounts, they should win so easily. <laughs> it should not be, it should really, this game should not be in contention, you know? Um, so you have to create BS ways to make it a game even so that there is even a chance that that Charlie and the gang can do anything. I thought that was interesting here, just the way of describing, like we get a lot of POV from Enigma and it's like, it sells how impossible this all is, I think. Um, we learn here that Charlie and the gang are using Mother Righteous as a radio to the white hot room or like one of her clones um, so that they can communicate with what's going on in the white hot room, which is apparently not great, but really stunning page of like all black and like just like darkness closing around the white hot room that I thought was really cool. Uh, the big reveal here, the big twist here, out of the blue, kind of hidden on the bottom of a page, but pretty big. Sinister, the OG, Nathaniel, Essex, is apparently piloting a Doug clone. I was fully understanding that this was Doug Ramsey. Uh, Krakoa did, in fact, grab Doug Ramsey and bail. So I just was like, yeah, they're okay. There's Doug. He's, he's back again. Uh, nope. It is apparently a body that Nathaniel Essex's consciousness is now inhabiting. And we learned that because Doug has a little red, red, red sinister diamond on his forehead. This is important for one major reason. And it's that it's a nice <laughs> heaping reminder that professor Charles Xavier makes the worst decisions. <laughs> like, I think we talked about this last time, but it's like, if, if Professor X is forming a plan and a strategy, that is the strategy you can be the most confident will fail and will go horribly awry. And the fact that he has turned to Nathaniel and is placing trust of any kind in Sinister, yet again, after everything, is a great indicator that Charlie's ideas never work. It does also raise the question, where's real Doug? Does anybody know what real Doug and Krakoa are doing? That's something. Maybe that comes out in X-Men Forever. Maybe it's a part of this miniseries. I wish Rise of the Powers of Ten was an all-year event. Like, I, I actually, like, it feels like the type of book, like I've said, I'm ready for this ending. I am. It's going to be good to get to the conclusion sooner than later. But I do feel like there's meat enough on these bones for Gillen and, and Silva to do, like, a full another year of X stuff. And I would be very on board with that. It's such a shame that we're saddled with Fall of the House of X as, like, the, you know, the other half of this. You know, like imagine if House of X and Powers of Ten, like imagine if one of those sucked <laughs> instead of being from the same creative vision and of a piece. 
kind of preferable. Kind of preferable. But Rise is great. It's doing good things. Sinister is piloting a Doug clone. Uh, Gillen is also teasing here. You know, ultimately, the, the question that we've kind of been asking this whole era, kind of the question that everybody has wanted to know this entire time, which is, what else could Moira try? What other options did Moira have to get to the 11th life that Destiny teased way back when? And where we seem to net out here, and I don't know if this is the answer necessarily, but the way that it is teased is the one other thing Moira could try. She's tried working with the mutants in all sorts of ways. She is now trying uh, an alliance with the machines. She has tried um, ascending to Dominion. A thing she hasn't tried, an alliance with Dominion Sinister. I don't think she's tried an alliance with the Dominion. What if she doesn't have to become Dominion, but she can just work with them? That feels in play. It did also make me think, and I don't think this is where the story is going, but you know, it's kind of like, oh, Moira, she's tried everything. It's like, has she? Where's Moira's Infinity Gauntlet? Where's the Moira Phoenix era? I feel like there are a lot of things Moira hasn't tried. <laughs> You know, I think the, like, you have to sell it in order to, to work within the structures of the story. But like, you know, she's had 10 shots. Two of them were just like, she was figuring out who she was, you know, it's like how many real shots here have you had to experiment? Not that many. Just as, I mean, Sinister makes this point, obviously, by creating his Moira engines, but it's like, if you actually only have 10 at bats, it really limits the amount of things you can try. So the idea that it's like, well, she's tried everything. It's like, well, no. No, she hasn't. Like, she hasn't gone cosmic at all. Right? Which feels kind of important with this. But what is teased, potentially, is sort of like a Dominion alliance. Meanwhile, Charlie and the gang are... So Charlie is is saying, the plan is to go and find not we baby Moira, because that's a bridge too far, but to find 13-year-old powers-activated Moira and then kill her. He's hiding this from Rachel Summers, who you have to either believe is the most gullible or, or dumbest character in the X-Men for that to fly, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, this book's great. Like, it's so nice to have have a conclusion that is, like, actually trying to answer these, like, like Gordian knot type conundrums you know hickman did not leave like a tidy get out of jail free with the moira stuff you know and especially post evil robot moira these are really challenging story beats to figure out so i appreciate the hell out of out of gillen and silva trying and and working to get there um honestly even if they don't in a way that i'm like i can't believe it i would still happily buy them a beer at any con for the effort being made here. It is so refreshing. I, I love it. I love to see it. And this book's good. It is. I mean, it's the best, best looking book in X-Men right now. And it's one that I, you know, I wish it was longer, which is a sign of something that I'm probably enjoying. Justin says Moira infinity quest. Now that's a good mini series idea. Yeah. Hasn't come up. Has it? <laughs> the, uh, the infinity gems have not been mentioned in this context. 
Jordan. Oh, Jordan with the sick burn here. She never tried being a good parent to Proteus. <laughs> Just demolished her. Demolished her. There's another thing she hasn't tried. Oh, that's a good one. Xavier says the Moira Cree deal. There you go. Haven't seen her with the scrolls either. Have not seen it. Xavier says, if that was his real plan, why not kill her before she activates her powers? Yeah, I'm not understanding that logic either, honestly. Uh, maybe I'd have to read it again. Th there's a couple logic elements that I just do not care to overthink. Um, one is the plan of killing Moira and how that works. I just, I'm just going to let that wash over me as some comic book shenanigans that drive plot. Fine with that. Uh, the other logic puzzle is like how the no place works and how sinister piloting a Doug clone is piloting a no place using tendrils of Krakoa, yet they can be invaded by Arachno sentinels. I'm just, I'm just accepting all of that <laughs> as scientific. Uh, totally makes sense. It's just how it works. If you have a no place, you can pilot it with tendrils and it can be invaded by Arachno sentinels uh, outside of space and time. I think there's, if there's one thing I learned from reading um, uh, Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time, it's that that is how no places work. <laughs> I'm just, as a comic fan, I just have to uh, allow that. It Also, huge Matrix vibes, right? From those Sentinels. Like huge Matrix vibes from piloting a no space and being invaded by these mysterious creatures outside of space and time, which probably you could say about a lot of things. Probably Graham Morrison would say huge Invisibles vibes, right? Matrix. Hijack the Invisibles, according to Grant Morrison some years ago. All right. Air Harlem points out, you know, I did want to bring this up. <laughs> Thank you, Air Harlem. Who knew Professor Xavier was a blonde? Okay. It is the end of the world. It's the end of the world as they know it. And Professor X is taking significant time out of his days to continue dyeing his hair blonde. <laughs> he is clearly dying his beard. Um, he is spending several minutes, maybe hours, in the bathroom. Do they have bathrooms on the no place? How does that work? And he is dying his beard blonde. Because here's the thing. Even if you accept, like, oh, yeah, Professor Xavier, famously blonde, which I don't know that to be true. But if you say that, okay, he's an older man. Not a hint of gray. Not a hint of gray in that beard. I'll tell you what, mid-30s right here. This beard, it's got some gray. It's got some whites. Okay? Professor X is dying his beard. He's spending a lot of time. And frankly, I, again, maybe this is why you can't trust his plans. Allocation of time and energy and vanity? Who on that no place cares? Charlie. Rachel doesn't care. Nathaniel piloting a Doug does not care. Mother Righteous in a bubble as a radio does not care. Vanity. The undoing of Saul. All right. Getting your thoughts. Getting your questions. I'm going to take a sip of water. Berktown Music Group says resurrected into a younger body. That does seem like something Charlie would do. Actually. Be like, you know what? I want to be 32. I want to have the general face of a 54-year-old, but the genetics of a 32-year-old. That wouldn't be so bad. Again, I would take, personally, 
I would change very little, except I would give myself uh, younger knees and maybe like a, a dose of younger metabolism. Not too much. Not too much. I mean, this dad bod is rocking. It is rocking. Okay? I don't know that I want to undo that entirely. But enough about me. Chris Kramer says, not sure if you're a Dune fan at all. I'm a fan of Dune to others. It's the kind of fan I am. But all the no-play stuff is 100% cribbed from that series. Uh, You know what else is like 95% cribbed from that series? Is like everything Hickman's ever done. (laughs) Hickman's a huge Dune fan. It's no secret. Um, Do you ever notice how uh, uh, the whole Mars naming was just the Dune planet? <laughs> this stuff isn't isn't secret. This stuff is no secret. But yeah, I love doing. Love doing a Dune dive. I did it back in the days of cracking Krakoa feeling like a, a worthwhile endeavor. I did have a video like half sketched, which was all of the Dune references in House and Powers and all the ways that Dune influences this book. Um, It's a long list. It's a long list. My favorite Dune books in order. One, God Emperor Dune. Two, Dune. Three, Children of Dune. Four, Dune Messiah. Five, whatever the fifth one's called. I had a hard time getting through that. There we go. Dune Rankings. All right, getting your questions, getting your final thoughts. I think we're good here. I think we addressed everything. Did we talk about, yeah, we talked about everything, right? Tell me if there's anything I missed. We will talk about it then. And keep getting those, come on, give me some underrated ongoings. I want to know, I want to know books that aren't coming out from Image, especially because I seem to be too tapped into that. Give me like, give me a book from a publisher that like no one is talking about. That's what I want, baby. Randall says, I never finished the first book. I would recommend audiobooks for the first Dune, actually, if you've had a hard time reading it. I, I, I would read like five pages a night and just fall asleep hard. And I don't know that that's an insult to Dune so much as just the most effective way for me to go to sleep is to read like slightly older sci-fi. Just always works. <laughs> um, but the audiobooks worked well. Kenji says Animal Pound by Tom King is getting no coverage. Okay, here's my question about Animal Pound by Tom King. Is it just Animal Farm? Is it just King doing an Animal Farm thing? Because I don't think I need that. I don't think I need that in my life. Tell me if it's different, please. I would love to know. Warren says Chapter House Dune is the fifth book. Yeah, that was my least favorite. I believe um, that that was that felt like a nice jumping off point. I felt like I'd done my piece once I got once I got through God or Emperor. I I really like the Leto the second stuff actually. Once you get to the kids and the God Emperor stuff, I actually thought that was pretty fantastic. Dune Messiah is a tough one. I did not enjoy it. It is interesting. It very much feels like an an artist who's like it feels a little in Nirvana in utero ish. A little rejection of fame kind of thing. It's like, oh, y'all love that? Here's the opposite. 
stick that in your craw. A little, little punk, maybe, to Dune Messiah. It's wild to imagine them adapting Dune Messiah as a movie. Like, almost unimaginable. I can see them just skipping straight the children of Dune. Kenji, what can't you, can you not argue with my animal farm concerns? Is that what you're saying? Or just my Dune takes in general? I'm shocked here to see that no one has heavily disagreed with my Dune rankings. Chris Kramer says 100% accurate Dune ranking. That is shocking to me because I just assumed there was like some sort of Dune canon that I am not tapped into. And folks were like, if you truly followed the golden path, you would know that Dune Messiah is the actual best. But I'm not seeing that here. Or am I just not reading that to you all out? Y'all have to consider that I might be getting a lot of really negative feedback <laughs> in the comments all the time, and I just don't share it because it makes me look bad. Have you considered that? Jordan says, I missed the big dumb Cerebro helmet Charlie wore during most of this era. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I do too. Here's a question. Will Charles Xavier be in the reset X-Men line, or will something weird happen that ascends him to a minion that takes him off the table. What do you think? Will Charlie Ballgame be a part of the X-Men line? Because I don't, you know, I talked about, okay, maybe Moira's going to make an alliance with the Dominion. I don't see this ending with a, uh, a penitent Moira. We certainly have not taken that journey, right? So, like, if some way she got to Dominion and then was like, my blessings bestowed upon you, X-Men, you may continue as if nothing ever happened and your Krakoa happened and now enjoy... Wait, why am I doing that accent? Well, blessings upon you, X-Men. I'd love for you to continue as if Krakoa existed exactly as it did. And I'm going to ascend up here as Dominion for some Marvel right to maybe play with later in the history of Marvel Comics. I don't see that happening. Okay, so Moira can't ascend. How do you untangle this knot of Dominion? It's a mess. I don't get it. So let's let's say, too, let's say Charlie killing. How How is it better? <laughs> These are the things you don't talk about live on air. How is Charlie's plan to kill Moira better at 13 than it would be if she was a baby? It's not. All right. Let's just. <laughs> that's like a perfect example of, of his like ethical um, just BS. Okay. But let's say he does that thing. And, and what, what happens, you know, like somehow we got to come out of this with the X-Men fully intact with Krakoa probably having had happened, but no longer like, you know, you can wave away all the, it's a nation sanction. People can live their stuff pretty easily. You can wave it away by just being like, yeah, the actual sentient island is gone. There's nowhere for you to live right now, right? You can do all that. But what do you do with the Dominion? And what do you do with Moira? Those are the hardest questions. Kenji says, your Moira is unmatched. James says, that accent is straight from X-Men, the animated series. Oh, Charles, you're the only friend I ever had. Do you think X-Men 97 is hiring? Do you think, can anyone get me in touch with Mr. X-Men 97 and tell them, I have a man for Moira. I will, I would drop, I would quit my job tomorrow 
unnecessarily because they'd be like, we can do this via Zoom. It'll only take a few minutes <laughs> of your time. I would quit my job on the spot if they told me I could be Mora. No questions asked. Kenji asks, can Charles talk to babies through their minds? No, because Professor X has never, ever in his life taken care of a baby. He's never held a baby for longer than he was forced to. He's never changed a diaper, I'll tell you that. He does not understand babies. I think other telepaths can speak to babies, but Charles can't. It's his greatest weakness. Cousin Marcus says, Moira will be a friendly dominion free from constant death and fighting. I don't see her as the friendly dominion. Puff the friendly dominion, Scottish by the sea. I don't see it. Why would she be friendly now? She like <laughs> hates the X-Men. She hates mutants right now. Doesn't make any sense, but she hates them. Ikari asks, do you think we're going to get a reboot in Moira? I don't know why you'd bother. I think you just never, like, we're just not going to have Moira McTaggart the way we didn't have Moira McTaggart for most of the 2000s because we thought she was dead. I, I, if you're, one of the decisions I feel the surest about is like you just walk away from Moira. I don't know how you don't. Chris says, want to touch on the morph being non-binary controversy. The, the, the controversy that, that rocks the nation on all the airwaves right now. Morph non-binary. More at 11. Do you, think, do you think we'll have room on the coverage tonight for uh, one of the many, <laughs> many horrible wars and, and loss of life? I don't know. We got we to gotta cover Morph being non-binary. Sounds, <laughs> sounds essential. Uh, I didn't know. It, I, I don't know of this controversy. Calling it a controversy seems to give it credence. Um, morph being non-binary, if that is if that is true, where is morph? I have is morph. I don't think morph exists in six one six. That's an Age of Apocalypse Exiles creation, right? Seems seems pretty easy to have that character be non-binary, and uh, good. There should be more non-binary representation in Marvel Comics. Okay. Randall asks, have you ever checked out stuff from Matt Cave or Scout Comics? Pretty good small publishers might have something you're into. I am curious to check out Mad Cave. I feel I have not, I don't know that I've ever read a book by them. I feel like they are maybe becoming a publisher that I want to pay attention to. I'm not sure. I really haven't looked closely. Scout, Scout seems, I, I'm not sure Scout publishes anything than, other than number one issues. Like I get the Scout, press review copies and emails or whatever. And as far as I can tell, they just announce series, but I'm not sure they ever like make comics. <laughs> Probably they do, but I can't confirm that. Justin says, honestly, should have walked away from Moira before Inferno. No, no. Listen, the best thing I can say about evil robot Moira is at least they took a swing. Did the bat fly out of their hand and hit an elderly woman in the stands? Yes, it did. But they took the swing. I would still rather that. I'm sorry, Grandma. I would still rather that than if they had walked away entirely. Ikari says, Morph being non-binary in 97 is the least gen crazy gender stuff X-Men has ever done. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that's that's a total non-issue, as it should be. Um, Randall says, "Dear Ed- you know what? Dear editor is good. I've heard. You know, I I've wanted to read that based on title alone. For those of you who haven't seen this comic, it's called Dear Editor, but it's spelled D E E R, and it seems to star an anthropomorphic deer, and like that alone is like." dad jokey enough for me to be like that's a comic i probably want to pay attention to so you know what randall you want me over i'm gonna check out your editor all right i think we're done good job everybody way to go um we settled the the debate roiling the nation about morph being non-binary turns out uh they will be non-binary on x-men 97 turns out cool good more non-binary characters in marvel no problem. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> we settled it. Okay, I'm not going to be here next week. No stream next week. I got things. I will be here the following week, and we'll have plenty to talk about. Should be fun. See y'all then. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. Uh, good comments, good thoughts today, good questions. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the comics. <laughs>